we're here to study the Bible. So let's open our Bibles to Numbers chapter 8. We're in chapter 8 tonight. We're in the section of the Old Testament where uh, the children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt. There's two and a half million. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. God has been preparing them for quite a while. They've been there a year, we're going to find out next week, before they pull out, before they move on their journey to the promised land. But right now, um, we're studying about this unique uh, uh, work that God's doing to prepare his people. Last week, it was the longest or the second longest chapter in the Bible, you remember? And we actually got through it all. And what made it long was the 12-day feast that was repeated over and over with each of the leaders of the tribes that came and they gave the exact same offering. Each one gave this. So we had this repetition with each tribal name, the same name that was mentioned back in Numbers chapter 2, the leader of the tribe and their organization back there. So God now calls that leader of the tribe. And, and the tribal leader brought these uh, gifts. They were exactly the same. That's why the chapter is so long, 89 verses to be exact. But the, this feast was joyful. It was a wonderful time of celebration. God is preparing his people to move. And so he's gathered them together. He's focused them on one thing. There's unity in the camp. They're glorifying God because they're all giving the same sacrifice. He's bringing unity to the nation and dedicating the tabernacle. That's really this section, these chapters. He's dedicating the tabernacle. Now, tonight in this chapter, God's going to give direction really in three different areas. Instruction about the lamps, instruction about the Levites. We're going to spend quite a bit of time on, on the Levites and also their labor at the very end of this uh, uh, chapter. Chapter 8 is really all about the Levitical priests and their ministry, and they're going to be dedicated in this, this wonderful ceremony. I've entitled this section, Shining Like Lights in the World. It begins with the light of the lamp and ends with the people that are dedicated and committed to serving the Lord in his tabernacle, being lights of the world. And shouldn't we be lights for Christ in a dark world? Let's ask God's blessing before we read the text. Father, I thank you for the scriptures. I pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, really pour into us as we read the word and that each believer here tonight would capture this moment. And not just a moment of, of doing a work, not a moment of just coming to church, but really a time to learn and discover and to grow. So, Lord, teach us tonight as we study your word. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, the end of chapter 7 is what I want to start with in verse 89. So, you're really there. Um, I want to read that verse because it kind of leads us into the next portion of Scripture. All 12 tribal leaders obeyed. They all brought their sacrifices. The people are in unity, and God is pleased with these people that haven't been totally obedient all the time, remember? The, these people have been disobedient far too many times, but now they've really been obedient. They're kind of in unity. They're, and so Moses now is, is going to go into the tabernacle that's complete. It's been dedicated. Remember a couple of chapters before it was blood that Moses sprinkled on the people, and he sprinkled on the robes of the priests, and he anointed the tabernacle with it. And now he's going to go into the tabernacle, and God's going to speak to him, and he's going to hear his voice. Notice in verse 89 of chapter 7, where Moses hears the voice of God. Now, Mo Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him. He heard the voice of one speaking to him from above, the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony, from between the two cherubim. So he hears this voice I mean, remember, the ark is not very big. We think of ark being this massive trunk, about the size of the pulpit here. It's very limited in its size. And on top of it, it's overlaid with gold. Remember Beziel, the builder, and Ophelia, the, these two artisans and craftsmen that have, that have put this ornate gold uh, all over the ark and then made the mercy seat on top of the ark and then the cherubim. These two cherubim or angelic figures with their wings over their heads, their heads bowed, were over that. And between, right between the cherubim, right in the mercy seat, this voice 
Moses begins to, he hears a voice, doesn't see anything, but he hears the voice of God, and God begins to speak with him. And basically, in God speaking with him and not judging him means that God approves of all that has happened. We read about it in the second largest or longest chapter, uh, chapter 7 there. So God approved with everything that was voluntarily given. Uh, The people have sacrificed, the people have offered, and God approves of that, and he receives that. And this uh, voice of God that Moses is now hearing, just again, it speaks of God is receiving, he's accepting. Moses, I told you what to do. The people have built what I've described. I accept the tabernacle and the the, the building and the priestly and all the, all the work that I've designed, it's all been done the way I want it to be done, and you've done it, you've set it up. Really, that's what this all represents. He's speaking to Moses, and I love the fact that he speaks from what would be considered, think, think of this with me, as an earthly throne. God is speaking from this earthly throne. It's the mercy seat, it's the ark, it's with within the tabernacle, behind the veil. This is God speaking. Again, everything about the tabernacle, as we went through and studied, speaks of Christ. It pre-pictures Christ. So now you got the mercy seat. And from behind the mercy seat is the voice of God. It's a beautiful picture of Christ and what he's done to give mercy to us This is the place where the priest will come in with the blood. Once a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he's going to sprinkle blood on that that altar to atone for the sins of the people. And the voice of God speaking to Moses comes from the same spot. Again, it's just a pre-picture. It's an illustration of God. It's a a reminder that, that God is now enthroned in the center of his people. And wasn't that what he always wanted? That's what God's always wanted to do. He's wanted to be in the presence of his people, leading and guiding them. Now he is. He's accepted their sacrifices. He's accepted their building and all their work. God's very pleased with the people, and now he's enthroned there, and he's speaking. Now, God commands uh, Moses here. He's going to command Moses and give direction to Moses um, into what to tell Aaron, the high priest, to do. And it's really interesting here how God speaks to Moses, then Moses speaks to Aaron, speaking exactly what, what God wants Aaron to know. But he speaks through Moses. Moses is the mediator. Moses is a type of Christ between God and holy God and a sinful man. Moses becomes this mediator. And again, a picture of Jesus Christ, who is the mediator between you and I as sinful people and a holy and righteous God because his blood delivers us from our sin. Just as God delivered his people from their bondage of sin represented in Egypt. The the beauty of the Old Testament and the truth of the New Testament, boy, do I want you to understand that. I, I truly, as we study these Old Testament, I just want you to get it. And I want you to have a fire in your heart for the Bible, all of it. Not just... Uh, you know, the book of John. Oh, I love the book of John. I love the book of John. But not just the book of John. The book of Leviticus, we just studied it. Fantastic. And knowing Leviticus, we were able to jump into Hebrews on Wednesday night. We're studying Hebrews. Fantastic. You don't really understand Hebrews unless you get Leviticus. Because Leviticus is, is the basis and the foundation for everything that happens in the book of Hebrews. So, again, I just want you to be stoked and excited and love your Bible. I, I want you to be in love with it. I want you to want to read more and, and dig way deeper than I do. I read a, a, a biography today, just a brief portion of a biography of a, a great Christian who lived hundreds of years ago that... He used to read three hours every morning. He'd get up at four and he'd read three hours before he went to work. Just read the Bible. And he read it over and over. He was said to have read the Bible some 500 times in his lifetime. I, I, don't, I can't say that I've read the Bible 100 times in mine. Can you? We need to read the Bible. 
We need to be in love with God's word. We need to trust it and put our faith in it. And that's really what I'm saying here is we see God giving a message to Moses. Moses gives the message now to Aaron. That's what we're going to see here. And Aaron is going to do exactly what Moses tells him to do. And the important point here is this, and here's, here's the passion in the heart of a pastor. I want to teach the Bible and only the Bible, not my thoughts, not other thoughts on it, although that's obvious. You know, I'm going to read other commentators. I'm going to read Greek words and study and lexicons and different input. I've got a lot of input. And then God uses my heart and my mind, and I, I share those thoughts with you. Then you, as a Berean, look at your Bible to make sure it, it balances out, right, that it's right. You, you don't want to just be led by your pastor. You want to be a, a Bible student of the Bible. But my job is to, to share God's word just as Moses, or God shared to Moses. And then Moses, as a preacher here, kind of a preacher, tells Aaron, and then Aaron carries it out exactly the way the word was written. That's the process. The process started here. But in the New Testament church, that's the foundation for even preaching and teaching. We, we do it, obviously, because in the Bible, we're told, and in the New Testament church, that's what they did. They met uh, in Acts chapter 2. They broke bread, and they fellowshiped together, and they remained in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles, the those apostles that walked with Jesus, that saw Jesus, that spent three years of their life with him, they repeated the words to the early Christians. And the early believers remained in the word. Now we have the whole record, the Old New Testament. And so we, that's why we study Wednesdays, Sundays. We study and look and read and over and over again and learn new things every time. The more you study the Bible, the less you know about the Bible. You can ask any pastor that. The more I say the Bible, I go, boy, I missed that. I haven't seen that. Even my, my message last Sunday about the not-so-triumphal entry, that's what I, I presented. It wasn't, uh, uh, Jesus never came to be enthroned as a king. It wasn't a triumphal entry when he came to Jerusalem. It was not so triumphal because the people didn't even know what to do. They, they were caught off guard. They were looking for a, 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 a political leader. They weren't looking for um, the, the suffering servant. And so as I study the Bible, and I hope you get the same hunger, you study it and you learn and you grow and you fall in love again with the scriptures and read it for years and years and years. I'm 61, and I still don't know anything the more I study the Bible. So here's the point here. Moses delivers the word of the Lord, but it's Aaron's responsibility to fulfill it. I deliver the word of the Lord, or any pastor is to deliver the, the pure word of God. And then it's up to the congregation to fulfill it. That, that's, it's always been that way, Old Testament, New Testament. It's always been that way. That's how God has formed his church even. That's the method of the church today, as, as the preacher declares God's word to his people. In Acts chapter 6, when the church was at its very beginning. And all of these things are pertinent to our study tonight, too. I hope you're catching this. But it's in Acts chapter 6 when the church was at its very, very, it just was birthed, and it's brand new. And there was a problem with the ministry. All of these pilgrims had come for Pentecost, for this feast. Jerusalem has swelled up with all these pilgrims that had come. And they... Some were Greek speakers. They were called Hellenists. The others were Hebrew. And the Hellenists, as they remained and they got saved, the, these once Jewish believers became Christ followers, they didn't want to leave Jerusalem. They remained there for weeks and even months, and they didn't want to leave, but they didn't have a job, they didn't have food. And so the disciples prayed, and God revealed that all the people that lived there should provide for them. And so they started providing. But the Hellenists, they felt they got ripped off. Their widows weren't getting the same amount of a distribution of food as the Hebrew. You remember the story, right? Acts chapter 6. So they come, and they're arguing with the 12. And the 12 said this. They, they actually say this. It's in Acts 6. Notice behind me. This relates to what we're studying tonight. I'll, I'll show you. It's not, 
It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables, the disciples said. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the, notice, ministry of the word. That's the work of the pastor, the ministry of the word. Any pastor will tell you this. We do all kinds of other things. We get stuck with ministry, we, uh, ministry meaning administration. And I, I so wish I could get rid of some of this administration so I could really spend more time in, in the Word of God. But if I don't spend time in the Word of God, then you're not fed. If you're not fed, then we're going to be weak as a church. I don't want to be weak. I want to be strong in God's Word. And so this is the process, and I hope that you understand as we look at even at this story tonight, God told Moses, Moses becomes the pe preacher, pastor, he teaches Aaron, and Aaron follows exactly the process. He does exactly what is told. Sometimes people don't do that, sometimes congregations fail, but we need to be a congregation that really seeks to uh, do exactly what God's word uh, says. So... As we come to chapter 8, verse 1, here's the direction. Here it is right here. And it's the lighting and the lamps. Remember I told you we are going to do lamps and then Levites? Here's the lamps part. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 1, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. Now his workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold from the shaft of its flowers and hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. We already talked about the lampstand, how gorgeous it was and how it was created and, and developed by the artisans and all. But this is really interesting because this story um, is, is, is a real beautiful picture of this light and the direction of these lamps and how they were to face in a certain direction. There's a lamp stand, and then there's the lamps. So it's not the direction of the whole lamp stand, you know, with the seven. Uh, it's not the direction of that lamp stand itself. All the lamp stand was was a fixture. It was the lamp put on it, and I, I should have brought one of my lamps from, that I got in Israel, the little clay lamps. So think of a little genie lamp with a wick in the front. This would, would be a little larger, ornate, would hold a lot of oil. They would light it, and it, would, it has some ability, I don't understand, but to shine light forth. Because the lamps that I've seen really have, it's kind of like a wick right in the middle, and the light would be 360. But these lamps obviously had a direction, they were directional, and they were, and um, Aaron was told to point them in a certain direction, verse 3, to face them toward the front of the lampstand. So Aaron's job as the high priest was to go in there daily, remember, and fill the lamps with oil, which is a representation of the need for the believer in the New Testament to be filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit daily, and to keep the light shining to keep that light on, to keep it shine and facing forward. That was his job. Now, the application, again, is that Jesus is the light of the world. He said so. Here's the verse. It's John 8, 12. He says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The, the menorah or the candlestick with the lamps on it is a representation of this continual light that would light up the inside of the tabernacle just as Jesus is the light of the world. Again, everything in the tabernacle pre-pictured Christ. But there's also a reference to the believer, and I, I want you to see this, shining as lights. You and I as Christians are to be shining forth God's light. That's the importance of getting out of church. Built up by the word, pastors preaching, you being built up, and you go out and you share Jesus Christ with others. We don't just go back to work and wait till Sunday. You're to, you're, to, you're to do the ministry. You're to share the gospel. You're to live as lights. Here's the verse. It's Matthew 5, 
where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill, cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus says, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the purpose of the light. And in the New Testament, you and I are to be these lights. That's thus the title, you know, shining like lights in the world. We're to be shining lights in the world. God's people, the children of Israel, were to leave Mount Sinai, and they're going to journey through the wilderness and end up in the promised land. They're to be lights to every other nation. And the Jewish people that I believe are still chosen, they're chosen by God. God hasn't changed his everlasting eternal covenant. As some teach, they're... In evangelical Christianity, there, there are those that teach that God is done with Israel and he's moved on, you know, and, and that's not true at all. God is not done with his people, especially when you know what happens in the book of Revelation. Those are Jews. The church is taken out. God is dealing with his people. The 120,000 witnesses, the two witnesses, they're all Jews, and they have the biggest Jewish revival in the world's history because many Jews come before the end because God loves his people. He never gives up on his people. He shows grace to his people. But we now are to be lights in this dark world. In Revelation 1.20, there's a picture in that chapter 1 of the church and the lampstand. It says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. There's a, there's a relation there between the light of the world and the church. So the church itself is not the light of the world. All we do is provide a platform like the lampstand, and then we direct the light on Jesus Christ. We direct the light on Jesus Christ through doing evangelism, through our Easter outreach, through going places and telling others about Jesus. We have to be a light to the world. That's the goal. That's that's the goal of being Christian. You've got to be a light for Jesus Christ. We're a platform, and then we just shine the light. It's Jesus who is the light, and we we exalt him. We lift him up. We put him high on a hill so everyone can see. If you do anything good, it's only because God is working in you. It's not because you're good. It's because God is good, and you want to exalt him and him alone. So again, our job as believers is to let the light of Jesus shine. Now, we move from the lamps or the light to the Levites here. Notice the progression here, and I call it cleansing and dedication of these men, the the Levites. Verse 5, then the Lord spoke to Moses again. So he spoke to Moses. Moses tells Aaron. Aaron does the lamps, right? So now the Lord speaks to Moses again, and he says, take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Here's how it goes. Sprinkle water purification on them. Let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Again, we studied this in Leviticus 8 and 9, the whole cleansing process of the priest, which involved these things that are recorded here, plus there were some other things they did as well. But you see in this baptism and its significance for the believer, it doesn't make you a Christian, but baptism identifies you with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. Baptism is, is, a, is a ceremony we do to identify with Jesus. We're saying, we're on your team. We're all in. That's really what baptism is, is all about. doesn't make you a Christian. doesn't make you holy. just makes you wet. But it's, it's, it symbolizes. It's what it symbolizes here. And in this case, they're sprinkled with water, a purification symbol, that they're, they're different, they're separate, they're holy, they're getting washed. That's what's happening ceremonially here. Sprinkle with water purification on them. So these Levites are different than Aaron and his family. We have Aaron and his family um, that are committed to doing this work of the high priesthood. And then there's this whole family of the tribe of Levi, the Levites, who are going to come alongside 
and they are going to be the ones that do the work and help Aaron and do all this work in there, moving the tabernacle, setting the tabernacle up, carrying the animals, cleaning the floor, doing all of those things. That was their job. So you have these Levites that are now going to be dedicated. That's what's happening here. Um, so they're, they're washed. Then they have this, uh, their clothes. They take their clothes off and wash their clothes. They shave their whole body. All of this thing, all of these things, kind of the process. Have an idea of, of think about this. New beginnings, right? They, they shave their, their body hair. Now, there are some commentaries that say that it didn't mean they shaved their head. They just cut their hair. I'm thinking they shaved it all off, personally. And I think that showed their dedication and commitment. Then they washed their body. Then they washed their clothes. They're like a new believer. Remember when you came to Christ and he took your sins away and you felt clean? That's what's being depicted here. It's like new beginnings or like a little baby again, having this fresh, you know, shaven body and, and you're just being born again. Here's the truth. Every believer, every servant of God goes through that process. You can't serve God without being born again, without being washed. You, you can't do it. You can pretend, but you can't truly serve God. You have to be cleansed from the inside out. Here, this ceremony was a proclamation or dedication in front of the nation. This would have all been done publicly. God saves you and I inside, and he cleanses us from the inside out. And then from the inside, our attitudes and actions begin to change on the outside. Have you ever noticed that? How do I know I'm growing as a Christian? I've had people ask me that as a pastor. Well, you know what? I'll tell you how you know. You're more holy, you're more holy this year than you were last year. You're growing in Christ. You're, you're closer to the Lord. You're sinning less and less. You'll never be sinlessly perfect. But you will, as a Christian, grow, and you'll, be, you'll sin less and less the more you read the Bible, three hours a day. And we, we laugh at that, and we it's, man, do I need the Bible? I read that, and I go, darn, I, I thought my 15 minutes was enough. I need to read the Bible more. And the more I read the Bible, the more I understand God's plan for me, and the more I am obedient to it, and the more holy I become. That's the process here. For the New Testament believer... The work is done inside. God cleanses us, and it's made known, manifests itself by the outward actions. If your outward actions tonight are no different than the day you gave your heart to Christ, then I would wonder if you're just a baby Christian and you're just sucking on milk and you haven't gone deeper and you haven't allowed the, the, the work of God to really take place in your heart. You rebel. Every time he brings something, a hardship, a trial into your life, you rebel. God, why did you do that to me? I, you know, instead of saying, okay, Lord, uh, I won't fight with you anymore. I'll just, I'm going to take this. And I know that, that you love me and you're taking me through this process to make me into the person you want me to be. Lord, I yield and I surrender to you. Christians, that's a beautiful place to be. It's a sweet place to be. It starts on the inside, goes to the outside. But in these Levitical priests, it was a public ceremony where it started on the outside. They shaved, they every body, all their bodily hair, and then they washed with water. They changed their clothes. It just spoke of, of this new birth that they were going through. Paul tells the Christians, and what I've come to learn is Thessalonica, right? It's not Thessalonica. It's Thessaloniki. My, my Greek guide made that very clear to me as she looked at me with her big bulging eyes because I would read the Bible and then she would come back and say, Thessaloniki. But Paul tells the Christians there in 1 Thessalonians 5, this is what he tells them, abstain from every form of evil. See, what God does in the inside causes you and I manifest itself in the way I act on the outside. I, I begin to abstain. I turn away from evil. I stop doing those things I used to do. The, the bad habits, the foul words, the, the places I hung out, the things that I did, I, I abstain. I, I, I take possession of who I am, and I grow in Christ. 
That's what we're talking about. This ceremony of washing, shaving, was all an outward sign of, a, of an inward work. We have an inward work, and it manifests itself in holiness. Now, notice in verse 8, the Levites were dedicated through offering, these, these offerings that they brought, verse 8. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Verse 11. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering. Wave offerings are always public. Everybody's watching from the children of Israel, that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls and shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the sins of these people that are now being dedicated. I love the imagery here. The laying on of hands is, is still something that that within a fellowship is important. Um, it's, a, it's a change of, le- it could be a change of leadership. It could be a sign of support where you, as a Christian, you, I always ask if you're a sister, can I, can I just put my hand on your shoulder and pray for you? I'm very careful with, about that. Brothers, I just grab you by the nose, you know, and let's pray, bro. <laughs> Laying on of hands just represents that connection and we pray. Laying on of hands in the book of Acts was a way to, they sent Barnabas and Paul out. They laid hands on them and they sent them out. Their authority gave them authority. In this case, sin. The Levites that were sinners put their hands on the bull and then the bull representing their sins was slaughtered and it was just a representation there. It's, It's really a beautiful image there. There's a lot of that in the scriptures, the, the way God takes away the sin. Now it's, he takes away my sin, he takes away your sin, takes away the sin of the world, the Bible says, through the blood of Jesus, the prime sacrifice, the premium sacrifice. So they lay their hands, verse 12, and then verse 13, and you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and offer them like a wave offering before the Lord. So this is a very public ceremony gathering the whole congregation. Israel would get together. And then Aaron was, I don't know if he put them up on boxes or whatever, parading them before the people. The two and a half million people, remember. So there's a gathering of people around the tabernacle. And this ceremony is going, a public ceremony, where the Levites are being dedicated before the people, the wave offering. Maybe Aaron would wave and just get everybody's attention. You know, here's this one. You know, he put his hands on, and each Levite would come by, and they were recognized by the people. They were being dedicated. They were washed. They were clean. They had clean clothes on. Their heads were shaven. They were different than everybody else because God was dedicating them for the, his use in the ministry. I like to think of ministry in the New Testament this way. It's available to every one of us. No one is, is uh, uh, eliminated because of who they are, where they were from, from ministry. And everyone should seek that gift that God gives you when you're born again by the Holy Spirit, seeking that gift and using it for the building up of the body, the edifying of the body of Christ. That means you use your gift in church as an usher, as a Sunday school teacher, as a singer, as a player, as a sound person, as whatever. You use your gift to build up the body of Christ. But not all God's people are called to be the priest, the pastor. Everybody can serve. Some are called to be helpers, the Levites. There was only Aaron and his family that were the priests. The Levites came alongside and they supported all the work that was done by Moses, obviously the intercessor, but Aaron, the high priest. In the book of, uh, New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, Paul shows that God uses 
just a diversity of people within the body of Christ. Notice this verse behind me. God has appointed these in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administration that goes on and on. So God has appointed pastors and, and leaders and then others to support that work. And we're really seeing the same thing. In other words, everybody has a place and a, an opportunity to serve God. In this case, God's going to move his people out in this movable, transportable sanctuary that represents the dwelling place of God, the tabernacle. They tear it down, they pack it up into wagons, they move it to the next location. We'll see that in the coming verse, or chapters how God calls them out. Next week we're going to see God calls them out and there's a trumpet, you know, and then there's this, the, 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 the pillar moves and everybody, okay, it's time to go pack your stuff, Martha. Get the wagon, let's go, we're following the Lord. And they'd tack up the tabernacle and off they'd go. So God's preparing all of these things, and he's preparing these people. But I love the fact that everybody has a place to serve in the body of Christ. Verse 14, thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine, God says. After that, the Levites shall go into service the tabernacle of meeting. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering. I, I, I kind of like the way this whole ceremony ends now. It, it ended real quick there in verse 15. After that, the Levites shall go into service. So ceremony's over. Get to work. There's always something to do in the kingdom of God, in the service of God's church. I love serving in the, in the church. I love it. I hope that you do too. I hope you find your place and you serve the Lord with joy in his church. And it might not be, everybody sees the pastor and they want to do that. That's, if God hasn't called you to do that, don't seek that. Seek what God's called you to do and you'll find joy. Seek what God's called you to do and you'll find satisfaction. And you'll be the happiest person, member of the congregation. You'll be the, the person that's, that's got the big joy smile on their face every week. You see somebody, why is that guy so happy? Because he gets to serve the Lord. He gets to come. To, he gets to come. He doesn't have to come. He gets to serve the Lord. That's always been my heart and attitude. I don't always portray that. There are things that happen in, in life that, that stumble us, right? Trials come. But, but to get to serve the Lord and to come and serve the Lord, that's what they're doing. So this whole dedication, now they're working, they're serving. It's time to get busy. Look at verse 16 here. The Levites are given to the Lord. This is an interesting little section here. For they are holy, given to me from among the children of Israel. Now God's talking about the Israelites, I mean the Levites. I have taken them for myself instead of all who open the womb. Instead of all the children of all the tribes of Israel, it's the Levites God has chosen. He's going to use them. He chose them he specifically. And notice verse 17, for all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast, on the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. So there's the context. The context is, is the Passover, that event that happened one year prior to the dedication of the temple here in, at Mount Sinai, where God killed the firstborn, man and beast. That's the context. And then he says, I sanctified them to myself. He's, he's originally sanctified the Israelite children. And now he's sanctified swapping for the Levites. He says, the Levites are mine. So he's letting the whole population know, don't ask the Levites to do your work. Don't ask the Levites to cut your wood. Don't ask the Levites to sell wares or grow your cattle or graze your goats because they are mine. They're committed to doing my work. I don't want them doing anything else. They're, they're mine. So it's really interesting. He makes this swap, in a sense, in this section. I've taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. So the, it's the Levites who are given to God. It's the Levites that God claims to do all of the work. Verse 19, and I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron, and his sons from among the children of Israel. What was the work of Aaron and his sons? 
the priestly work of the tabernacle. So God's given the Levites to serve Aaron, to help Aaron accomplish all of these things and to make atonement for the children of Israel. So they're going to work in the sacrificial system. They're going to be the ones that, you know, the priest would probably be the one that stood there at the altar of sacrifice inside the, the, the uh, big courtyard there in front of the tabernacle. Remember, you go through the first veil, and there's the altar of sacrifice. Anyone that walked in there knew exactly what it My sin cost me something. I have to bring something to the altar of sacrifice. And all day long, two and a half million people, you got to have a, a time to sacrifice your animal for your sin, right? Two and a half million people. How many sacrifices a day? I mean, think about that. Wow. This is a very busy place in front of the altar. There are bulls being sacrificed. That's a big animal. I don't know if you ever rode one. I see those guys ride bulls, and I say, man, if I, if I was a priest, I'd run from that thing, not sacrifice it, but they, they must have, it must have taken a bunch of Levites to tackle the thing and hold it down so somebody could, you know, butcher it. And then somebody has to cut it into pieces so it can be barbecued, burnt, separated, and then the next animal, and the next animal, and then somebody has to clean the dirt around. I mean, that's what the Levites did. They were doing all this work. It took a lot of work, you know, to, to do this system of sacrifices that God has instituted for the sin of man. God wants his people to be holy. Sin has a great cost. We all know that, don't we, as believers? Our sin cost much, and we can't pay for it. Praise be to God. He came and he sent his son, and Jesus died in my place on the cross, and it was his blood that saves me. Hallelujah. Don't you thank the Lord for that? That's a beautiful thing. So we don't sacrifice goats or bulls or any of those things anymore. The sacrificial system was made complete in Christ, and he died once and for all. That's why we don't do that anymore. The Jews, by the way, they want to institute sacrificial system. They will in the last days. They're going to institute their sacrificial system. They're going to rebuild their temple. You read the book of Revelation. You read the, the uh, book of Daniel. You read the books um, uh, prophetic books in the Bible, they tell you that the, the Jews, they're going to reinstitute. They're going to build their temple. They're going to reinstitute sacrificial system. Um, I believe that the church is raptured before that happens personally. That's, that's my view. But needless to say that the work of Aaron took a lot of help. He needed a lot of help, so the Levites were the ones to help. Now, we move from the lamps and the Levites. Now we're going to go to the labor. Notice here, in the closing verses, verses 20 and 22 here, thus Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according to all that the Lord commanded. They washed, they waved, they, they, uh, all the sacrifices happened. That's, that's what this is telling us. So the children of Israel did. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes, and Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. After that, the Levites went in to do their work. They got busy in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. So now they've been dedicated, the people, and they get right to work here. Now, this is an interesting section because we find an age limitation on these Levites. Notice verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, again, this is the third time we've seen that the Lord spoke to Moses. This is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform the service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work and shall work no more. So here's this age limitation for the Levite. Now, think about this for a minute. I'm 61. I don't want to be carrying no tabernacle or these 250-pound tent spikes. I, I, I can't do it anymore. I want to do it. That's why when we have something and, and we, we want to use this side of the sanctuary, we want to move all the pews, we ask all the young men to help us because all the old guys, man, we, we're hurting. 
But God puts a, a, a limit, and I believe he does that mainly because these are the prime years of someone's life in ministry and service. If you're within these years, brothers, sisters, you should be serving the Lord like nobody's business. Oh, but I got a job and my kids, and I, listen, bring your kids and serve the Lord. Have your job and serve God. Do your best to make God the prime. This is the prime years of your life. These people only had this brief portion of their years, 25 to 50 years, and then they were to cease from their work. So they were giving the prime years of their lives. And verse 26, again, they were to retire. Notice they may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to the needs, but they themselves shall do no work. So they, they could, in their retired years, 51, they could continue because they wanted to. I mean, you're 51, you're viable, you want to still serve God. And so they, they weren't able to, they weren't to lift, they, they were to pass on their work to the younger, but they, were, they could still, in their retirement years, they could still serve the Lord. And I, I love that. I love that fact that there's no limitation in the church today for when you retire. I'm not looking to retire. I'm going to keep preaching as long as God gives me breath. You should continue to serve the Lord as long as God gives you breath. God wants to use us. If you're 50 years or older tonight, God can use you. <laughs> Don't quote this verse and say, oh, Pastor Lee said I'm done at 50. That's why I come to church and I don't do anything. No, no, that's not what it's. Notice there's an eagerness here for them to continue to work. But God just didn't want them to do the heavy lifting. So the heavy lifting was done with the younger. But, but if you're 50 years old, you're to work. Let me give you an example. Luke chapter 1. There's an old priest and his wife, Elizabeth. Remember his name? Zacharias. It's in Luke chapter 1. Zacharias is, is doing his work in the temple. He's doing his ministry. He's old. The Bible says he's old. In fact, the Bible calls him, this is how the Bible says you're old. You're well advanced in years. That's kind of a cool way to say it, right? The Bible says that Zacharias was well advanced in years. So he's way over 50, and he's serving in the temple, right? And so... He and his wife Elizabeth are barren, and she's frustrated, and they're, but they, he's serving in the Lord. He's serving the Lord, and Elizabeth is praying. It's a beautiful picture, and Zacharias is doing his ministry. Listen, it was his ministry to take the incense into the altar of incense and keep it burning. He was chosen. You can read about it in Luke chapter 1. I cha just do that later, but he goes in to do that, and while he's in there, people are outside, the t and they're praying. What is Zacharias praying for? He's praying for a son. He's praying for a child. Elizabeth is obviously praying as well. But instead of getting bummed out, I'm not going to love God or serve God because he won't give me what I want. He won't give me a child. He won't give me a job. He won't give me the car I want. He won't give me stuff. So I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to church anymore. Instead of being, Zacharias is serving the Lord. He's doing this ministry of prayer. His wife is praying, and guess what? He meets God, an angel, in the temple doing his duty. Here it is in Luke 1, verse 12, behind me on the screen. And when Zacharias saw the angel, he was scared. Fear, fear fell upon him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, shall bear you a son, and you shall, name his, and you shall give him the name John. That's John the Baptist. I love this truth. Zacharias wasn't too old to serve God. You're not either. This is God's church. You should be busy doing, serving, helping, assisting, being a part of. Zacharias was praying. He was interceding for people. Elizabeth obviously was doing the same thing. Even in his old age, he was serving the Lord. Listen, we can all do that. Every one of us can pray. We meet on Thursday night with Eddie and the prayer men. I should be there tomorrow. I, I, God willing, I'll be there tomorrow with the guys. Men, if you, you should be part of that prayer meeting. 
come out and just pray with the guys. One hour. You just come, pray, and leave. We pray for the church. We intercede for people, sick people. We intercede for the needs of the fellowship, the needs of our nation, the needs of the people in San Bernardino. We intercede. So it's really a blessed time to pray for the body, for the church, for people, interceding for one another, proving even if you're retired, you can work and serve the Lord. That's my point here. I love that truth. So God tells Moses in this text, Moses tells Aaron, Aaron carries out exactly what God had intended to happen and, and communicated to Moses. Lamps, Levites, and labor. And now the people, they're shining like lights in the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. How encouraging your word is. How instructive it is for young and old. I thank you, Father, for the word. And I pray that your people would apply it in the way the Holy Spirit illuminates their heart and mind as we're reading through it tonight. I just pray, Lord, for us in this fellowship to have ears that hear what the Spirit is saying and that we would be lights to the darkness of this world and here in San Bernardino or, or Colton or wherever, Highland, that we would be lights, that we would let our light shine for Jesus Christ, that we would share the gospel with others and that you would use our fellowship, Lord, Continue to keep us unified in our worship, in our service. Continue to teach and encourage us, Lord, as we study your word. Give each one of us tonight a hunger for the, the word, Old and New Testament. And, wait, and may we, God, shine like lights in this dark world. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. <clears throat>